Hello, this is the Just Bloody Post-It podcast for everyone learning to do marketing better, along with all the other things we're trying to do well. Bless our hearts. I'm Helen Perry, your host, and this time want to talk about who we admire, who we're impressed by and how to measure that. We're bombarded with messages from people who want us to trust them, aren't we? Do we measure their credibility in follower numbers? Maybe sometimes, but we should not. The theme of this series is how to do things differently and better. And our guest this time, Natalie Campbell, MBE, could give a masterclass in that when they're thinking about who impresses them. Does that person make you feel good? I think lots of people follow people that don't actually make them feel good. They make them feel inadequate or not enough or like they should be doing better. Natalie is the co-CEO of Bellu Water, a drinks company that gives 100% of its profits to WaterAid. Hold on tight for the rest of her CV. In 2011, Natalie co-founded a very good company and went on to work with brands like Virgin Media and Marks and Spencers to show them how to put people first in their businesses. The mission was to help everyone it touched feel good, do good and live better. She was a founding director of Sussex Royal and has been on more boards than we have time to mention. She has a radio show, Badass Women's Hour on talk radio and a podcast, who doesn't? She is multi-award winning, including being recognised in Management Today's 35 Women Under 35. We talk about who to listen to and what should impress us. The best books in business, have a pen and paper handy. She can tell us how to enjoy having an online profile without enjoying social media very much. We discuss cancel culture and the influence of Molly Mae Haig, getting an MBE and more. Yes, all in the next half an hour. But first, Natalie told me that she does not want her story to intimidate because it's all in the context. So I always start my story by saying I wanted to be a CEO at 15 because that's really important context for a lot of people. I recognize now that sometimes my CV and the things that I've done in the, in the, in the time that I have feels quite intimidating for a lot of people. So the context of at 15, I knew I wanted this helps people realize that I've been thinking about this a lot longer than most people have been thinking about what they ultimately want to do in their career. So everyone, you can breathe. I love it. I'm inspired by it. It's a different path. But yeah, I know it, I, I know where you're coming from. It's not meant but to think, intimidate. <laughs> yeah. And I, I've met people that sort of say, I don't feel that I can do what you do because you do so much. And so I'm just saying, I've just had a longer run up to figure out what I want to do. The principles that I share in terms of how to do it are exactly, exactly the same. It's just, I've had, I've had more time to cultivate um, sort of my purpose journey and becoming a portfolio careerist, which is what I consider myself to be. Um, so I've always had uh, a passion for business. I've always had a passion for sort of retail and the consumer. And as I went through my university career, the idea of making a difference to the lives of other people and having an impact on society, less so the environment when I was sort of, you know, in my, my teens, but having a positive impact was was front and center as, as well. And so as I've gone along my career, I decided that I would work with companies in businesses that wanted to do better 
I have stayed away generally from any brands or businesses that I felt the profit motivation came before everything else. And so I've been very lucky in my career in that sense that I spend time with lots of can-do people, people that want to change the world um, with big radical ideas. And that has rubbed off on, on me. And this is what you mean by the term social entrepreneur, which exactly. is how you describe yourself. Yeah. What do you bring to all of these different roles in all of these different places? You're talking about the other people that you've been fortunate enough to work with. What do people get when they're fortunate enough to work with you? I think I'm not, I think, I know I'm not afraid to say the uncomfortable or inconvenient truth. I push people to think differently, to really question their motivation for doing something. So, you know, let's look at lots of brands. Back in the day, having values was really, really important. I would say, is is this project, is this initiative, is this campaign really aligned to those values? Or are you doing it because you're looking for a sticking plaster? Are you doing it because you know you're not doing well enough in another area? Um, sort of precursor to even the greenwashing language, I would say, is is this ultimately greenwashing how do we move it out of that space into something that's meaningful that can be embedded into the business I didn't build a very good company to be an agency with lots of bums on seats for me impact was the companies that I was working with dedicating more internal resource to making a difference because that's how I knew it was going to stick and if they stopped working with us that was a good thing because they could continue the work without the need for an external agency, which for me is then when it really is part of, of the culture and the DNA. Um, and now in terms of Baloo and everything I, I do there, I found the perfect sweet spot of running a business where we are commercially focused. You know, Baloo is a, is a commercial business, but we give away every single penny of our profit to WaterAid. And before we even get to that point of giving away our, our profit, we're thinking along the journey is, is this the right thing for the environment? Is this something we should go into or is the market saturated in a way that has a negative impact on, on people and planet? Are we doing the right thing internally in terms of how everyone in the team can show up to work? How can we experiment to be a best in class business across every aspect of, of who we are? And I feel very privileged to be in that position. I read that you uh, became involved with Baloo. The idea is to show that it's possible to do business better. Am mm -hmm. I misunderstanding? Absolutely. For, for you, that. is that almost where the business experiment gets interesting? It's like, how can how can this be different and how can this be better? Yeah. And it, it starts before Baloo. So the four-day work week is, a, is an in-topic right now. I started a very good company in 2011 with a four-day work week. Do you still do a four-day work week? Not at Baloo. Right. Um, I actually changed it. So I'll come on to that in a moment. Okay. <laughs> four day work week at a very good company. It was my experiment to say, we need to do more than work. We need to allow people to have time to cultivate the best version of themselves or to run that side project or to go to yoga or whatever it is. And back then people were like, well, why, why would you do that? How does it even work? And now everyone's talking about it. And then, you know, there's a big experiment at Baloo. I flipped it. Um, we had a number of people in the team, parents who work, specifically mothers who worked, who were doing part-time hours, being paid a part-time salary, ultimately working all the time. And so I came in and I know said, a lot of those people. Yeah. We all do. <laughs> so I just said, look, it's a false economy. It's absolutely a false economy. I know no matter what, because you are so committed, 
you're online in, in those downtimes while you're waiting for the kids at football practice, you're online. I can see it. So first of all, we need to sort out the cultural behaviors that mean you don't feel the need to do that. But equally, we're just saying everyone at Blue works full time. How do you stop? I'm, inter- I'm interested in, in, you know, in 2022 and, uh, you know, the, the, with the possibility that we can be online and available 24-7. How do you control? Do you have any digital controls in place or do you just encourage a kind of best practice? Well, it's not encouragement. It's modelling the behaviour. Yeah. So okay. th- there are no internal emails allowed after eight o'clock. No internal emails or comms on a Friday. If something's urgent, you can call, but it's a zero internal chatter day I have spent sort of the lockdown period really encouraging people to go what's important right now is that email really important or is it more important to have space and time to think so we crafted a statement called the gift of time and because we work and face into the hospitality industry, we had the gift of time to spend time speaking to each other and asking ourselves sort of big strategic questions. And whenever we get wrapped up into business as usual and everyone gets really busy, I say, look, you don't have space in your diary, which means you don't have the gift of time, which means there are strategic opportunities that are, that are being missed right now. And that gets everyone back into that space of, okay, let me slow down. Let me prioritize. Um, and, for me, it's really, really important that um, we spent, we've got our whole performance process wrapped up around this, that I'm not encouraging people to have a work-life balance. I'm encouraging people to have life. And so within the working day, you need to do life stuff. Do, do your life stuff in the working day. Don't try and, I guess, artificially have these working hours and then sort of cram a little bit of your home life in and then go back into work. It, it just means people burn out. How and do so you we, model that? How do you fit life into your working week? I tell my team what I'm doing. If yeah. I'm going for, if I'm running or I'm going, having, doing yoga or taking the dogs for a walk uh, or, or just thinking and reading, um, listening to podcasts, I let the team know that I'm not 100% on my emails. I let the team know that I'm, you know, not a, not a slave to the business as usual activity. And we also don't have a presenteeism thing at Baloo. I do not need to see your green tick, your red. I don't care about any of that. It's all about output. Is Baloo as a business moving in the right direction? Are we delivering collectively what we said we would and acknowledging there'll be downtime? So there'll be points when some people don't have things in the diary. I let people know my diary isn't full all of the time. That is a good thing. Do not feel the need to fill the space. And that means for people, so going back to the, the working full time bit, I don't expect people to have to be on, you know, during the quotes, 40 hours a week. Live your life. We're going to pay you a salary that aligns to the value that you bring to Baloo, not the hours you work and make sure that your life is balanced within that. It's a hard match for people, way of thinking for people to get around. And they always, you know, is there a catch out? But we've been working together long enough now for people to relax into it and to really understand that what I say, I mean. And I imagine the work gets done beautifully. Um, I was excited to invite you on the show after I listened to an episode of another podcast, the After Work Drinks Club with Vanessa Sun UK, and I will link to the episode in the show notes. Um, you were chatting about women who are doing the work. Yeah. 
without visibility necessarily, without, you know, big jobs, with high profile. And I felt that you were kind of urging the listener to kind of check who they're glorifying Mm. or who they're looking up to and ask who's got money in their bank account who's really doing stuff and it did make me reflect because I and many of my audience do a lot of work in social media it's where we promote our work and it gives you a really inaccurate picture of who's doing well doesn't it It, am, am I interpreting your thoughts what you were saying in the right way yeah, absolutely. And to be clear, I'm not saying that people that post about glamorous lives aren't necessarily doing well. I've been privy to the salaries that um, what I call glossy people make from their social media lives. You know, they are, they are doing well. I think it's the facade of what being successful across all of all areas areas of your life really looks like. And so, to not buy into the hype of what we see and the value we put on the stories that they're putting out there because there are lots of amazing people doing amazing jobs that aren't even on social media. Um, and I, I call a lot of these people architects of society where they are, they are, they dictate a lot of the way we live and they're not on social media talking about it. And too busy just, doing it. <laughs> exactly. And it's just having a sense of perspective that I think we've lost because of the vacuum of, of social media. And by default, people that spend time in luxury spaces seem to be perceived as more successful and more aspirational. But actually a nurse out here saving lives, that is aspirational. That is someone that's functionally making a difference. We don't necessarily glorify that lifestyle or that work in the same way? Uh, It particularly had me reflecting because I work in the space of giving people advice and help. Um, And I am by no means alone, especially if you go online. There are thousands, millions of coaches, Mm -hmm. business coaches, life coaches, all kinds of people who are out there wanting to tell you how to run your little business. You know, this thing of, of doing your own thing, having your own dream, whatever it might be, is it's big currency and it's big money for lots of people. So how do we choose who to take our advice from? How do you choose who to take your advice from in your work and life? So I go back to the point that I wanted to be a CEO at 15. And I have had coaches over the years, amazing coaches. I love therapy. I got my training from books. So I figured out how to be a CEO and an entrepreneur from business books. And what I've realized over the years is that they all pretty much say the same thing. Which have been your most influential? Which have kind of, which books have found you at different points in your career? It really made you go, wow, okay, that, that helps. So lots of business books are built off Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. If you really want to break down the core of you know, being effective, read that. The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari, again, a really good read that gets you to step out of what you think success is about and relay the foundations for building a purposeful life. Um, Which is what you do yeah, at Baloo. Yeah. And, and that, that book, in, in inspired um, me to do it. I think I must have read it when I was maybe 20. Um, 
and I, I still have got it here with, with notes in that I, that I flick through. It's actually, uh, right behind me in the top of, of my pile. There's another book that I read that I recommended to my team. It's called The One Minute Millionaire. And don't be fooled by the title. What the book is actually about is if you had to make a million pounds in 30 days, because the life, the, your life and your children's life depended on it, you would figure out how to do it. So you would remove barriers. You would remove excuses. You would blow through any single wall. And it is um, a step-by-step review of how you coach yourself to thinking in a more abundant way, into thinking about manifesting, into thinking about how you um, respond to negative external energy by recognizing that you can control how you feel about said energy. Um, and it's a two-sided book. So there's a left side and a right side. So one side is a story for people that process in that way, and the other way, the other side is practical um, sort of steps that, that you take. And again, it's right behind me as a, as a, almost a, um, hate to use the word Bible, but a Bible in, in thinking. And so I, I wrote those books in sort of my late teens, early twenties, still have them now. And you know, going back to your point around who should we follow? I think everyone should try and get to a space where they can coach themselves. And therefore, when you look for a coach or you look for a therapist, you're not looking for someone to tell you what to do. You're looking for someone to take you outside of your normal thinking pattern and extend your thinking, extend your questioning to play back what they've heard you say in an um, objective way without judgments so that you can get further. And I think that's the sweet spot of coaching. I had a magic coach, Stephanie. Hello, Stephanie. And she did just that. She just unblocked something in my brain I couldn't pinpoint the moment when it happened I couldn't tell you what she specifically did or said but it allowed me to do things differently and she didn't tell me how to do them it's just something something changed in my approach and it's really hard to describe that coaches struggle often to describe their benefit but when that happens it's magic and like you say you then you go and take care of it yourself and I also I also keep like bible type books yeah. around as well and um yeah I, I love all that thank you so much for sharing those titles I'll be off to order some <laughs> of them after we finish chatting who impresses you now that is a really good question okay so I am a hard person to impress I'm going to put that out there just because everyone, no matter how successful we think they are, has a struggle. Everyone, no matter how bubbly, wonderful, nice they seem on the outside, has a shadow side. And so I've moved away from being impressed by people or even having role models to just reminding myself that every single person is human and they will be flawed and they will make a mistake at some point. In being impressed by them, I don't want to not be impressed by yeah, them. It's almost, they un, so. it's almost unfair to, to that person because you're exactly. bestowing them with, with qualities that a normal human doesn't have. And, and yeah. of course they are. But it's we can be impressed by something somebody does, the action they take or something they create. And that's, and that's the key thing. That's the thing, me. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. It's what are people getting up every day and doing and how are they showing, actively showing that the person they say they are is the reality of who they are. I've made no um, uh, small thing of the fact that I adore Rihanna. Um, she isn't someone that most 
springs to mind for most people, but I love the way that she thinks about business and going into skincare, doing things differently in a, in a sustainable way. The sustainability message isn't front and center, but it's there. She has a foundation that gives back um, across the Caribbean, that gives back to marginalized communities in the US. For me, as a young black woman growing up, her visual was for me, made me realize that I could step out of the mold of what you had to look like as a young black girl. And I, I shaved my hair and I got tattoos and that was very much a, a Rihanna thing. It's, it's how, in her being her, how she has enabled me to feel. And that's all I really want people to take away from when they're thinking about who impresses them. Does that person make you feel good? I think lots of people follow people that don't actually make them feel good. They make them feel inadequate or not enough or like they should be doing better you have a, a visibility an online profile uh, and you do work in, you know on radio you've published books is that something that you enjoy or something that you see as a necessity to to help with what you're trying to achieve in business I love it I'm a curious person I don't love social media per se. Um, and I've, I've said this often, I'm an introvert. So even if I post something and then people start speaking back to me, I'm like, oh, oh, I need to go and lay down. This is too much. And I can't, you know, I can't respond to every single message. So I end up just liking some. And then I say thank you to my friends and people, people that know me. It's not my natural place to be. I do like podcasts. I really love radio. I enjoy being a journalist. And it's that thing of asking people questions and exploring and debate and what I what frustrates me about the world we're in like right now sort of this council culture is we've removed people's ability to just say what they think so that people can explore and go okay so you think that why do you think that actually let's go deeper into it we've lost the art of of nuance and gray space everything you know, everything is well this person said x so it must mean that or we take a snippet of what someone said and vilify them and I don't like that world. And so that puts me off wanting to engage more than I do. I think it's holding a huge number of people back from having the conversations they might otherwise have. I was reflecting on where, it, when it's going to pass, I suppose hoping when it's going to pass through the lack of forgiveness, the lack of allowing people to change their mind, the, you know, the, the, the inflexibility. Or, you know, I change my mind every, I definitely change my mind every year. I definitely have dif different perspective on things with every kind of big experience or big piece of work that I do, person that I meet, conversation that I have, you know, to go back through somebody's, you know, thoughts 20 years ago and pu pull out a thought they had and, and make that a reflection of, you know, who they are now is just crackers. I wonder, I wonder when it's going to, I'm sure, I I feel it must pass through surely and and we'll reach a different I, I don't hope know so I, ho I hope so but it's what's the trigger that will enable that to happen and then what is the benchmark for what is wrong so for me red lines sexist behavior racist behavior homophobic behavior that's a red line yes people can grow and develop and so that whole thing if someone said something in x year does that necessarily mean that they believe exactly the same thing today? I would hope not. I would want to give them the benefit of the doubt, but I'd be watching that person with one eye to see what actions they've shown me that indicate they no longer believe that thing. There are smaller points. So uh, Molly May, 
um, talking about the 24 hours that she has or that people have within the day. I understand the intent of what she said there because any entrepreneur has said the same thing to themselves. They, you know, they've said, I've, I've got 24 hours in a day. H- how do I use it? She was vilified because she's a young, young blonde, blonde influencer. She's, she's so a woman young. in this space. She, I mean, I um, forget she's that so she's 22. She's, I mean, she's just, just spouting what she's heard, right? Yeah, I mean, go back and look at what you were saying when you were 22. My God. And even um, Stephen Bartlett, he, even he said, I mean, do you want to go back through my podcast episodes and see how many men have said something similar to no note? You know, nobody even paid attention. It, it's, um, But it wasn't, it, it, a lot of, women were commenting on that conversation as well. It was still in that place. Uh, so and I, I'm going to say that it's also, I don't want to use the word jealousy, but it's a, who is she to say that? Whereas people don't think about that in the same way for men. A man is entitled to do that because that's just a male thought. But who, as a woman, who are you to be ambitious? Who are you to determine that this is the right way to live? And we don't allow space for nuance. Yes, she's an influencer, and yes, she went on on a, a television program that catapulted her to fame. Do I fundamentally believe that she is someone that isn't hardworking? No, I, I get a sense that she she's a grafter. Um, yes, it makes it easier once you get to a certain level of success, but that's great, right? If you if you're successful and you can build off your success, why why would you not go there? And I think women. Uh, have to tolerate a lot more of having to be perfect in public than men do. Yeah, you have to tick every single box, every or box. Um, or it's not good enough. Um, mm. And I hope I hope she's okay and gets chance to process everything that's happened to her in the past few years. Really learn from it, and then maybe she can make a career helping other people. But not change, just that. I don't know, want women to back stuff. away from stating their ambition. Yeah, yeah, through fear of being vilified for it. We need to say what we want, who we are, how, you know, how, how much we want to be X or do Y. And, you know, the fact that we are badass, I, we, I, I don't want us to step away from doing that. Cause I think it's very easy for us to sit in a space of making other people feel comfortable with exactly. our, with our ambitions so that we're not scaring them. We're not spooking them. We're not too much for them. Yeah. What would you like? next Natalie what are your ambitions yeah what are your ambitions actually just to have fun um I have been steaming through my career and the pandemic made me realize that I love what I do I absolutely love what I do but I don't need to do all of the things all of the time and there is a nice, there's a relief in that. What I'm actually learning is what do I then do if I'm not filling all of my time? And there's there's growth in that for me. So I, I don't know what I want next. I'm very, I love being at Baloo. I lo- I've moved to Hove. I live by the sea. I've got two dogs. So I just need to settle into living a life at a pace that feels different to what I was doing before, but the impact is still as um, as fulfilling. I'm trying to work out what that means. And I just have to ask you, before we go, what was it like collecting an MBE? Well, so I'd known for a while that, yeah. that I had the MBE. I found out just literally after we went into lockdown. 
So the part of me that almost forgot, and then it becomes very real once you get your letter saying you need to go to Windsor Castle and, and pick up your your MBE. Uh, for me, the immediate thing that set in was, what am I going to wear? You looked um, amazing. I didn't want to comment on your clothes because, you know, that's... But you did. You looked fantastic. You. <laughs> you can go and see your Natalie's Insta. <laughs> but, I, but I, you know, I thought long and hard about what, what, what to wear. <laughs> Um, that's the retail girl in me coming back out. But, it, you know, it's a great experience. I I actually personally love pomp, pomp and pageantry. Um, I love castles and palaces. I love the, uh, the, the artwork. It takes me back to being in school um, and, you know, classes talking about portraiture. And so I spent a lot of time as you sort of walk into the room to, to get it, looking at the art thinking oh that's the that's the painting from my history book I love seeing photos of of Queen Charlotte um and so yeah so I went alone as well so I didn't have to do sort of all of the small talk uh and then I I collected my MBE from Prince William which was really nice because he's a uh, former boss by the Royal Foundation and then I had a glass of champagne and then went back to work so you know immediately you get back to to doing doing the day job but it, it was a nice moment to just go okay I'm doing the right thing I know I'm doing the right thing but it's you know it's a nice acknowledgement congratulations enjoy it and thank you so much for your time thank you for having me Do you know the bit that made me smile in that conversation and also feel perhaps there's not so much that separates civilians from CEOs? Of course there isn't, we're all people. Is that Natalie admits that she's self-taught. She learned the principles of what she does in books. Me too, I'm self-taught. And did you notice that she also says all the good books basically say the same thing? I wish we'd gotten into that a bit more because I really agree. It's the truth. Everything that resonates with me comes down to some version of give generously, be decent and try and do good things. I'll put the links to all of the books she mentions into the show notes. And I would love some new reviews for the podcast to celebrate the start of series three. Go over to iTunes and leave one, please. The more people who write about the show, the more others can find it. And it's all good stuff, isn't it? I'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye.